You're listening to podcast audio from Radiant Church, located in Bay City, Michigan. For more information on Radiant Church, you can check us out on www.radiantbc.com or follow us on social media at Radiant Bay City. All right, good morning, Radiant Church. Well, as you already heard, we have a special guest this morning. Pastor Jeremy Brown from Ann Arbor, Michigan. Nine years ago, Pastor Jeremy and his wife planted Radiant in Ann Arbor, and God has been doing some amazing things there. And Pastor Jeremy is one of our overseers here for Radiant Church, and I'd like to say that uh, part of our success is because uh, of him and some other great overseers, me having the opportunity to what? To access his wisdom and his encouragement and his knowledge and his friendship and even the times when I cry and whine, he's there for me ready to listen. And I'm so grateful for him and how he's just really been a shepherd. Uh, him and his wife have been a shepherd to me and Carrie, and we're grateful to have him here this morning. Would you please honor him and make some noise for Pastor Jeremy Brown. Well, it is really good to be here with you all this morning. Uh, it's quite an honor, and, uh, you know, I just love Pastor Marco and Carrie. You all have just an incredible pastor couple here in this house, and you already knew that. You expressed it through a Blackstone grill, so you're doing a great job there. Uh, but uh, I'd say he was one of the key successes, some, some overseers, and that's definitely a part of it. But uh, last night I was here for the staff meeting, and I discovered one of the other keys to the success of this church. And this is a very successful and weird church. Uh, the average church right now in the United States has 30 to 60 percent uh, of the attendance they had pre-COVID. Uh, so a lot of people just are not attending church at this point on Sunday mornings. And you all bought a building in the middle of a global pandemic. So like, God is doing some incredible things here, and it's through godly leadership that you have here. And uh, I, I didn't know a whole lot of the rest of the staff here before last night. When I was at the staff meeting, uh, Pastor Marco was teaching on just being amazed by God and coming back to that place where we're filled with zeal for him and awe and wonder about who he is. And then the staff, they were all gathering. They were praying that over the church. And they were praying for all of you. Uh, just different things Lord was putting on the heart for this family and this body. And they were just really calling down fire uh, for all of you, for the city, for what God's doing here. And so you all have a, a praying church. And he was talking about um, the Sikh services that you're all going to be having soon. And I can't encourage you enough to make that a part of your life. And if you really want to move into the next things that the Lord has for you, because there are many more things. Getting a building was not the end. The Lord gave you a building so that you could fill it with disciples of Jesus. And so this is the beginning of a new season for you. And the way that you're going to move into this new season is going to be connected to the way that you seek after the Father through the place of prayer. Uh, so they're not just having seek prayer meetings to fill up some space and to give more work for the staff to do and give you more things to do in the evenings. Uh, we're all busy enough. But there's a recognition that they have that the key to moving into the next things that the Lord has for you is going to be found in the place of prayer. And so get those on your calendar, be a part of it, grow personally in prayer, but also grow corporately as you gather together 
and pray. Um, and so today I wanted to speak to you a little bit about prayer, actually, because when you gather together in prayer meetings, uh, I grew up with this idea of prayer that wasn't accurate. I kind of had half the idea of what prayer is. And that was, I thought prayer was just petitioning the Lord. Lord, like, here's the things that I need. And it was interceding for people, interceding for situations. And that is true. That is a part of what prayer is. Jesus tells us to do that. He tells us to ask him for things. He says, you have not because you ask not. So we should be asking the Lord for things. But have you ever noticed that in the prayer meetings, if all you do is just ask God for things, that's not that great of a prayer meeting? Like it feels like it went on way too long when all you're doing is just asking the Lord for things and, and pretty soon you're like looking for ceiling fans to count them. Like, do you think that's a medium speed or is that the slow speed that's rotating? Like your mind just starts to wander. Now you're all wondering. I'm wondering myself. I'm guessing fast. But uh, your mind starts to wander and you just sort of disconnect and it feels dry and lifeless when all you do is ask. It's amazing how many of you are looking at the ceiling fans right now. <laughs> um, but it feels dry and lifeless when all you do is ask God for stuff. And it's because a prayer meeting and your own personal prayer time isn't just a place for you to ask God for things, but it's a really a place where you're created to encounter intimacy with God. When you pray, what you're really doing is building relationship with Him. And you're developing intimacy and that relationship that you have with the Lord. And a part of the way that we're developing that, in, that intimacy is through ministering to God. And so I want to start this morning by having you turn to Revelation chapter 4, and we'll get to that at the end. But I'm going to have a whole bunch of other passages that will be on the screens for you to look at. But the statement I want to make to you to begin with is we were created to minister to God. In the garden, when God created the heavens and the earth, and I don't know if you've noticed, but the universe is huge. It's incomprehensibly huge. But God picks planet earth and he creates a garden on earth of, to be this temple of where he tangibly dwells with humanity. And we're created to have deep and intimate relationship with him. And a part of that relationship is that we were created to minister to him. A part of what God created you to do, the default setting in humanity, is we are those who minister to God. And some of you are like, oh my goodness, like I'm supposed to wear a white collar and walk around like sprinkling holy water. Like that doesn't sound that exciting. And it's because we have wrong ideas of what it really means to minister to someone. You see, a ministering to God is coming near to him to express love back to him. That's what it means to minister to God. So when Pastor Marco or one of the other staff members here, uh, or one of the, the elders or a group leader, when you're going through something tough, whether it's through a loss or a relational thing that's going on or a sickness, when they want to minister to you, they don't put on the collar and start sprinkling water at you. That doesn't actually help you. What they do is they relationally draw near to you and they express love to you. And it's that expression of love from the place of nearness relationally with them that really ministers to you and it blesses your heart. Now, it, the most intimate relationships that we have are, are in marriage. And so when I got married, my expectation was that you know, like, we're going to be completely one in mind, soul, and body. And like, we'll, like, we'll have all the same thoughts and everything is going to be perfect. And it's like, love. 
like angels are going to sing every morning when I wake up. You know, like, you know, I was in my early 20s. We, we didn't understand. And so I get married, and I just have this expectation for all this, this complete emotional and mental intimacy relationally with my wife. And I'm doing things to express love to her. Uh, like, I'm a words of affirmation person. Any of you words of affirmation people? Yeah, you're all my best friends. We would, because we'd get together, and we'd be like, I love you. No, I love you. You're awesome. No, you're awesome. We'd feel like, boop, 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 like love meters filled up, and we'd go out there, and we'd be fine. So to express love to my wife and to develop intimacy with her, I'm writing her poems, and we have a little journal, and every day I'm writing down different thing that I thought about her, a different reason that I love her. Like, beautiful stuff, people. Like Shakespeare, if you read this stuff, you'd be like, throw out Shakespeare, we're going to leather bind some of Jeremy Brown's prose, and, and like this is what I'm going to read on dates to people. Uh, I'm just bringing out all the best stuff I can possibly draw out of me to express love to her. And she's like, that's nice. And it like goes on with her day, and I'm like, what is wrong with her? Like, Lord, like she's defective. There's something, you need to heal her heart, God. There's something wrong with her. And, and then she's, I didn't realize it, but she's doing things to serve me as her way of expressing love to me. Now, I am not an acts of service person. In fact, when you serve me, I feel like, what, do you think I'm incapable of doing this? Like, what do you, do you think I'm that weak and I'm that feeble that I can't even do this? And so, you know, she's like drawing acts of service out of herself and humbling herself to show me how much she loves me. And I'm like, you think I'm an idiot. And I'm writing beautiful words, and I'm always telling her how much I love her, how incredible she is, and she's completely unaffected by it. Well, what I discovered is that you can't just express love to someone else based on your preferences. This is marriage advice. For you. If you haven't figured this out yet, this is gold. You have to express love to someone in the way that they desire to receive love. So here's what I figured out. Even though acts of service do absolutely nothing for me, actually they make me feel bad, if I like get out the vacuum and I just start vacuuming, like she's like, oh my. <laughs> like, if I'm sitting there doing some dishes, splash a little water on myself, she, like, she feels all loved up. So now like, I'll do dishes, and, and I'll vacuum the floor and do whatever I have to do, and she feels all loved up, and she tells me I'm awesome, and, like, and I feel loved up, because we've learned to love each other according to each other's preferences and each other's desires, so now we're able to draw near to each other to express love back to each other, and that has created intimacy in our relationship. And intimate relationships are awesome. It's we all want those. And what happens, though, is we come to our relationship with the Lord, and we have an expectation for intimacy in it. Like, we're going to know God, and he's going to know us, and we're going to draw near to him, and it's just going to be incredible. But then we don't experience that because we're oftentimes just trying to express love to God according to our preferences and our desires. You know, God's a person. And as a person, he has desires, and he has preferences. God has ways that he wants to be loved. And so what it means for you to minister to God is you draw near to him. I'm relationally and purposely drawing near to you because I've received so much love from you. Now I want to express love back to you 
And I'm going to do it not according to my own preferences or my own desires, but God, I'm going to figure out how you want to be loved. I want to figure out what makes you like, feel loved. And as I begin to do that, now I go from the place of where I know that God loves me and I'm just receiving love from him to going to the place of where I'm both receiving love from God and expressing it back to him according to his desires and his preferences. And as you do that, you will move into the intimacy with God that you were created for and that you desire and that you even long for in this life. And so I'm going to speak for the rest of the time about some of the ways that God shows us that he wants to be loved. And it's going to be specifically through the area of praise. Uh, One of the ways that we minister to God is with praise. And what praise means is it's an expression of God's worthiness. It's a celebration of who he is and what he's done. Now, unfortunately, in the Western church, we have some weird ideas about what praise is. And uh, praise has even gone from being an expression of God's worthiness according to his desires and his preferences uh, to something that we've marketed, we've made a commodity, we sell it, we package it, we, we market and we target it towards different people and groups, and we use it as a way to try to attract people into our church. But I want to say this. What happens on this stage when, when you know, Pastor Marco's up here teaching? Like, that's for all of you. He's speaking to teach you, to encourage you how to live a life of godliness. When you're in your groups, when, you know, different things that are happening, that's trying to minister to you. But what happens on the stage when the band's up here leading? Uh, that's not for you. That's for him. That's the expression of love to our Father, and they're inviting all of you, all of the family, all of the brothers and sisters to join them in praising him according to his desires and his preferences. And some of these desires and preferences that God has, they won't be your desires and your preferences. And I want to say this, that's okay, because it's not for us. Praise and worship isn't for us. Praise and worship is for him. And so it's all custom tailored around what are his desires and what are his preferences. And just like sometimes when I'm serving my wife, I'm doing vacuuming and dishes and that doesn't get me super excited, I don't do it for me, I'm doing it for her. And there are some ways that God wants us to express love to him that you may not get super excited about, but that's okay because it's not for you, it's all for him. And so the first way that God reveals he wants to be praised is through singing praises. Now, this is one he commands a lot. He says in Psalm 911, Sing praises to the Lord who dwells in Zion. Declare his deeds among the people. First Chronicles 16.23, Sing to the Lord all the earth. Proclaim good tidings of his salvation from day to day. Psalm 34, Sing praises to the Lord, you saints of his, and give thanks at the remembrance of of his holy name. So who does God say he wants to sing praises? Yeah, the worship leaders, not not just worship, those who can sing well and have a great voice. He doesn't say that. He says he wants all creation to sing his praises. He says he wants all the saints. If you have decided that Jesus is Lord and he is Savior and he has put his spirit inside of you, you're one of the saints and his command to us as his people, as his family, is that we sing praises to him. Now, we're funny about singing. You know, we're Westerners, and so we have our own cultural oddities that we don't recognize because we're blind to our own culture. 
but we're weird about singing. We're always judging ourselves, and we're thinking more about how other people are going to be perceiving our voice than we are about the fact that we're just singing as an expression of worth and value to God. I want to say this. Most of you can't sing. I'm in that group. If, if we were doing this, you know, as a worship team audition, all right, listen, see who's going to be leading us, I wouldn't make it, and most of you wouldn't either. And that's okay. But God loves your voice. Uh, my children, I have nine, seven, and three-year-old. I'm sorry, nine, seven, and four-year-old now. And I love it when they sing. I don't think any of them are ever going to be multi-million album-selling artists. And that's okay. I don't love their voice because their pitch is perfect and the cadence is strong. I love their voice because they're my children. And they're singing songs to bless my heart. That moves me. That ministers to me. That builds intimacy in my relationship with my children because it's not just me as the father pouring out love on them, and I'll do that forever if they never love me back. But when they love me back and they're doing something to bless me, oh, that's the best. It doesn't get better than that as a parent. Listen, the Lord created your voice. And if he had wanted you to be an incredible singer, he could have made you an incredible singer. If he had wanted you to bless the neighbor next to you with the beauty of your voice, he could have done that. But he gave you the voice you have. And he longs to hear it. There is a praise that only you can sing. And when you don't sing, the family is missing out on one of the voices that was created to be lifted up before him. Hey, I get it. It can be self-conscious, and we judge ourselves and our voices. We even think, well, if the song selection's just right, then I'll be able to sing along with it. It has nothing to do with that. The Lord loves it when you sing his praises. So whether you're good at singing or not, whether you like singing or not, and I've met a couple people in my life who actually hate music. I don't let them babysit my kids. I don't trust people like that. But... There are a few people who don't like music, but that's so rare. And even then, like what a sacrifice of praise it is to bring your voice before the Lord. He loves it when we sing praises to him, and it builds our intimacy with him. The next thing is shouting praises. 1 Samuel 4, 5 through 6. And when the ark of the covenant of the Lord came into the camp, all Israel shouted so loudly that the earth shook. Now when the Philistines heard the noise of the shout, they said, What does the sound of this great shout in the camp of the Hebrews mean? Then they understood that the ark of the Lord had come into the camp. Psalm 35, 27. May those who favor my righteous cause shout for joy and be glad. May they say continually, The Lord be magnified who delights in the peace of his servant. Psalm 511. But may all those who seek refuge in you rejoice. May they ever shout for joy because you defend them. May those who love your name be joyful in you. Now, I, I did hear there's some shouting going on today in worship. I love that. Uh, at your prayer meetings, there will be some shouting going on. But I'll be honest with you. When, like, I'm, I'm not a big shouter. I don't get excited about that. But I used to shout. You get me in the right environment and I shout. Like, it used to be, you know, I live in Ann Arbor. Michigan used to be good at football. Like, in the era of the black and white TV, Michigan was a fearsome team. And, like, you know, when they would score, like, going to Tigers games, and, like, when they were good, too. Man, all my teams stink now. This is kind of sad. But, like, when your team scores, it's like, yeah! Like, you shout, and it's just instinctive inside of you because it's a celebration of something. 
Uh, you guys, like, I've never been to a political rally, but I see them on TV sometimes. And, like, this politician comes out and makes all of these empty promises. Like, if you elect me, I'll do everything you want. And if the other guy wins, everything's going to be terrible. And people are like, yeah! Just because someone's, like, you know, making empty promises and lying blatantly to your face. They neither know you nor care about you. But we get so excited and we shout for politicians. Or, uh, like, when you go to a concert. I love it when you go to a concert and everything's kind of dark and, and like everybody, you're kind of like looking around to see and then you'll see someone walk out on the stage. Everybody's like, yeah! And it's just someone like setting up the mic stand and it's like, oh, oh no, 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 not yet, not yet. Not. But we shout because of someone's presence. We shout because of victory. We shout for joy. Every single one of us does that about something or someone. What greater thing is there to shout about than the fact that the presence of the living God, who's faithful and true, who has won the victory over sin and death, he, that king, that God, is here with us right now. There's nothing better to shout about in all of this world. And you all can shout. We're going to count of three. We're just going to do a little test. See if you guys can shout. Ready? One, two, three. Ah, come on. A little bit better. Your team, your rock star, your politician just did something. One, two, three. That's, that's all right. Now, the king of kings, the living God, the one who's defeated the power of sin and of death, it says in Revelation that he walks amongst his churches. He is here right now. Now shout on the count of three. One, two, three. There you go. It's fun, isn't it? And it blesses the heart of God. So, you know, like at the end of songs, what do we do? We shout. Because we're recognizing who he is, what he's done, the proclamation of truth and love that we've just sung about. It is appropriate for us to shout for joy in our prayer meetings and in worship. So, keep on going on that. Next one is clapping. In Psalm 47, 1, it says, Clap your hands all you people, shout to God with a joyful voice. They're even, he's throwing two in there, shouting and clapping. Now, uh, once again, who does it say is supposed to clap? Those who are just overly expressive, who are weird about things, who have great rhythm. No, again, it says all of you clap. It's a part of what we're supposed to do. Now, why do we clap? Have you ever been to the doctor or gone to the dentist? You're like, yeah, you're going to need a root canal. And you're like, yeah! <laughs> No, because clapping is a sign of approval. We clap because we like something. We approve. We're like, yes, that's true. Yes, that's good. That's why we clap. So when we're clapping as a way of praising God, we're saying, God, I approve of you. God, you are good. God, I'm celebrating you. And now there's another thing that we do when we clap. Uh, how many of you at any point in your life ever dreamed of being in a band? You guys are the biggest liars that I've ever... Everybody wanted to be in a band at one point. Everybody. But the problem is, the Lord did not give everybody musical ability. It's a bummer, isn't it? I, you know, I wish I could be up here on the stage, you know, playing along with all of you, and I wish I could sing great, I wish I could play the drums. I was actually talking to your drummer today, I was like, I wish I could play drums. But I'm not able to do that. But the Lord did give every single one of us a rhythm instrument. And it's these hands right here. And you can join in, not just as a spectator 
in worship, but you can join in as a rhythm player in worship and leading the whole congregation and not only approving of what God's done through our applause, but also we get to join in with the band and be a part of leading worship when we clap along with the song. So I encourage you, applaud God, but also join in the band. I don't just let other people lead, but you join in with the leading of worship. Raising hands. Uh, Nehemiah 8.6 says, When Ezra blessed the Lord as the great God, all the people responded, Amen, Amen, by lifting up their hands. As they bowed their heads, they worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Psalm, oh, Psalm 134.2 Lift up your hands in the sanctuary and bless the Lord. 1 Timothy 2.8 In every place of worship, I want men to pray with holy hands lifted up to God, free from anger and controversy. Lifting up hands is one of the most expressive things that we do when we worship and when we're praising God because it's a symbol of a few different things. Number one, it's a sign of surrender. It's God, I recognize that you are all powerful. I recognize that you are the greatest source of authority. I recognize that you're holy, you're majestic, you're true and I am submitted and surrendered to you. It's also a sign of blessing. And when you want to bless someone, we're doing like, hey, I want you to stretch your hands towards this person as we pray for them. It's a sign of blessing someone. We're blessing the Lord, and we say, God, we love you. Our blessing is upon you. We declare that you are good, that you are worthy, that you are holy. We're doing that when we raise our hands. Well, it's also a sign of intimacy. When my kids, uh, like when I come home and my kids run up to me, what do they do? They raise their hands up. They want me to, to grab them and to pick them up and to draw them close. I didn't teach them to do that. That's just a natural expression of wanting to be close. And so not only are we saying, God, I'm submitted to you, and God, I bless you, but it can also be a sign of, God, I want your presence. I want closeness with you. I want greater intimacy and depth of relationship with you. When we raise our hands and bless them again, he says, I want everybody to do this. It's a way that we minister to him through our praises. Dancing. Any dancers in this house? Any, okay, there we go. Anybody a good dancer in this house? Hands went down. Okay, there we go. <laughs> I'm not a good dancer. I want to be real honest with you. I do not enjoy dancing. Other people do not enjoy it when I dance, so I don't do a lot of dancing. But uh, I didn't start out that way. And there's uh, like these old home videos that my parents have back in the day when they had like camcorders that sat on your shoulders and VHS tapes that went in them, all that stuff. Like I remember watching old videos, and my dad would like be playing guitar or a mandolin or something, bluegrass tunes, and like little three-year-old Jeremy is like dancing around like a fool to these bluegrass tunes that my dad's playing along. Like, I have no memory of this stuff. But I used to be a dancer. And I was so filled with joy watching those videos. It's like, where's that Jeremy? Why can't I get that Jeremy back? But every one of us, I've never seen a kid in my entire life that doesn't dance. Music starts playing and kids just start moving and they're filled with joy and it's an expression of joy that they have. But somewhere along the way, other people and peer pressure and people judging us and us learning to judge ourselves makes it so that we withdraw and we want to appear dignified and we don't want everybody to know that we're not a good dancer. 
In fact, when I went to college, I had to sign a contract because it was a, a Christian school, it was a Baptist college, and one of the things I had to agree not to do was to dance. That if I was caught dancing, that was grounds for expulsion. Uh, so, like, I was like, this isn't even biblical. Like, the Lord actually commands us to dance. But we've perverted dancing in our society and made it into something that's all bad or dirty or it's going to lead to other things. But, like, in its purest form, dancing is this expression of joy connected to our Father who's so good and so perfect and true. And we're filled with joy because of who He is. We're filled with joy because of what He's done in us and for us. And we're His kids gathering around His feet and expressing that joy through movement. So what I had to learn to do, and this is one of the tough ones, of all the ones I've been talking about, this was the one where I was like, Lord, I'll, you know, I'd do anything for love, but I won't do that. And the Lord's like, am I worth it? I'm like, well, yeah, you are, but it's like dance. And so I had to learn to dance. And uh, I was greatly relieved when I was doing a word study on dancing, and one of it was, it means actually just to leap into the air for joy. Like, I can jump. I mean, I can't right now. I got a bum knee, so I'm hobbling around. But I was like, I'm going to do like the middle aged dad dance. I'm just gonna, like, it's like jumping up and down with like one arm up. But it, like, it became something that I grew to love and as, as an expression of joy and knowing that I'm blessing the heart of my father. Every single one of us can do the middle aged dad dance where we just jump up and down with one arm up. And you might feel like a fool and you might think other people think you're a fool, but your father is looking at you and he's saying, Yes, my child loves me and they love me enough to look like a fool for me. Uh, so dance, dance before the Lord. And I forgot the scripture on that one. But we'll move on to this last one and it's bowing. Uh, this last of the expressions of praise that God desires that I'll speak to you about today is bowing. And what bowing is, is a symbol of submission. It's this recognition of that we are humble before him. Now, even in the, the cultures of this world, we understand that. You come into the presence of a king or a queen, and what do you do? You bow before them. And it's a symbol of saying, I'm not as good as you, which is a really messed up concept amongst people anyways. We don't have to bow to people because we're all equal. But we're not equal with him. He's holy. He's majestic. His beauty, his goodness, his faithfulness, they're unlike anything else you will ever find in this world. And there are times when his presence becomes magnified before you in such a way that the only thing you can do is just to get down and bow before him as an expression of his worthiness, as a way of blessing his heart and showing him how much you love him. In Revelation chapter 4, we see that John has been caught up to heaven and he has this vision and he's seen what's happening before the throne of God. And there in, in verse 8, this is what he sees. It says, day after day and night after night, they keep on saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God, the Almighty, the one who always was, 
who is and who is still to come. Whenever the living beings give glory and honor and thanks to the one sitting on the throne, the one who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down and worship the one sitting on the throne, the one who lives forever and ever. And they lay their crowns before the throne and say, You are worthy, O Lord our God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and they exist because you created what you pleased. See, what's happening in heaven right now is the model for us in the way that we worship and the way that we praise him. Before his throne, there's singing. Before his throne, there's this declaration of who he is. Before his throne, there's bowing down before him. And all through scripture, we see times when the presence of the God, of God, not the God, of God shows up. And people shout and they sing and they dance and they raise hands and they bow down before him. And so many other expressions of all coming back and saying, God, I don't want to love you according to my preferences and my desires. Because if we do that, we will never experience intimacy with him. We'll be those who receive love from him selfishly, but never love him enough to give him love back in the way that he wants love. And when you do that, you will never experience intimacy with him that you were created for. That becomes your source of joy in this life. It becomes your strength in this life. It becomes purpose for you in this life. It is your contentment in the age that we live in. It's intimacy with him. It's all in knowing him. The Apostle Paul, he had everything this world had to offer except for intimacy with God. And he ends up losing everything his, he has, his position, his status, his power, his family, his money, all of these things that he had. He gives them all up to be able to pursue God and in intimacy with him. And this is what he says. Everything that I had before, I count as rubbish. It was trash compared to knowing him. The Apostle Paul discovered was true intimacy with God. Not just waiting for the day that we see his face, but here and now, I'm going to know him. I'm not just going to receive love from him, I'm going to minister to him. I'm going to choose to draw near to him. The veil has been torn. Because of what Jesus has done on the cross, Everything that separated us from God has been removed. And now, with boldness, we can enter into his throne of grace. With boldness, you can draw near to him and express love back to him. And in doing so, you can have true intimacy with God. And that is the greatest thing there is. There is nothing greater. Would you stand with me this morning? I'm going to have my, the prayer partners come forward. And uh, after we pray together, if there's anything that we can be praying with you about, then come forward and, and let the prayer partners pray for you. But let's just pray for a moment together. God, thank you for loving us. We don't deserve it, and we couldn't earn it but you love us. 
and we've received that love from you. And we thank you for that love. God, I pray that you would stir up the desire to love you inside of us. It's God's Spirit in us that's putting the desires of God in us. It's God's Spirit in us that's causing us to want to love him and want to love him rightly. God, we don't want to love you according to our preferences and our desires, but God, we want to humble ourselves before you to love you in the way you want to be loved. And so God, I pray over Radiant Church in Bay City that this is a house that blesses your heart. Holy Spirit, you're leading us into spirit and truth worship. You're, you're humbling us, God, and you're teaching us how to live a submitted life before you. And we're going to be those. We're not just waiting for heaven to come to earth and the restoration of all things to know you, but here and now we're committed to knowing you. Here and now we're committed to loving you. God, I pray that there's joy in this house as we move into obedience in the way that you've called us to praise you. God, I pray that we're overwhelmed by the intimacy that we encounter with you as we lay aside our own preferences, God, and our own desires to love you in the way that you want to be loved. God, I pray this house is filled with singing. This house is filled with shouting. This house is filled with clapping. This house is filled with dancing. This house is filled with bowing because you, the living God, are here amongst us. And this is a house that's filled with the people who know you deeply and intimately, God. This is a house of intimacy with you. And God, I pray over Bay City. I encourage you, pray over this city that it's not just going to be in this house, but it's going to spread. You're doing this not just in this church, but in every church in this city. God, we pray that it's in every home. Husbands and wives, parents and children, gathering together in homes to minister to you and to encounter you. Friends gathering together to bless your name. In the groups that are meeting, God, just intimacy with you being built and established in new and ever-increasing ways. But I pray for those in this house who've been looking for the more of you, who've been living with disappointment, who've given up on intimacy with you, but as they submit themselves and learn to love you according to your desires, Jesus, they're amazed and overwhelmed by the way intimacy is built with you. And it fills them with joy, it fills them with purpose, it fills them with contentment, it fills them with strength and hope, Jesus all because of you. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Amen.